This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. John chapter 6 is where we find ourselves tonight, and uh, we're going to look at a story here that I'm sure is not new to you. One of those stories that's probably one of the first stories we learn uh, as young children in Sunday school, but one that I think has a a pointed lesson for us in relation to our theme for this week. And uh, let's, if you found your place there in John chapter 6, let's start reading right at the beginning of the chapter. Verse number 1, it says, After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And, a pas- and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, Whence shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. I'd like to preach tonight on these words, John 6, verse number 6. He already knows. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity that we have tonight to open your word. I thank you that your word is truth. Lord, we are here tonight because we have faith, we believe that the words that we open before us, they come from you. Because they come from you, they have your power. They have the power to change hearts, the power to change lives. Lord, tonight they have the power to change us. I pray that as we study this passage tonight, Lord, that you would open our eyes and our hearts to what it is you'd have to say to us. I pray that all distractions would be put aside that we would focus on what you have to say to us tonight. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. As we dive into this passage, uh, I want you to see, first of all, tonight, I have a simple outline, uh, nothing too complicated, but I want you to see, first of all, that we are talking about an insurmountable problem. I want you to get the picture in your mind of what is happening at this point in Jesus' ministry. As Jesus has been at this point now, for a while, he has been going around, he's been traveling, and healing people. He's been doing miracles. And it was never going to stay a secret that lame people are now walking. It was never going to stay undercover that uh, the eyes of the blind are being opened. Word has gotten out that the ears of the deaf are being opened and they are now hearing, that the lepers are being cleansed. And so we read in, in verse number two that there's a multitude following him because, as scripture says, they saw his miracles. But on this particular day, As this multitude is following him, there is a problem. This crowd, as they've come to see Jesus, it's difficult for me to imagine uh, going to an all-day preaching meeting not thinking about what we're going to eat when it's done, right? Are you with me? Um, 
I, I, I imagine that these people, they heard that Jesus was nearby. I, in my mind's eye, I, I expect that uh, they hurried out the door when they heard that Jesus was coming through. Because the fame of Jesus had gone uh, throughout that area. And so they, they headed, maybe they heard from their neighbors that Jesus is up on the mountain. If you want to see Jesus, you better get out there, right? And maybe just pausing long enough at the door to put their shoes on and, and to get out there to see Jesus. The thought never crosses their mind. Uh, to, to pack a lunch or to pack a dinner. And consequently, the day's activities of healing the sick and the lame and the, the blind and Jesus teaching and preaching, it's all culminated in this dreadful situation that they have 5,000 people there with nothing to eat. Now, maybe I should have warned you that this is, uh, I consider this to be the scariest story in all of the Bible. Uh, they got to dinner time and they had no food. Um, if you're like me, that could make your blood run cold. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's the plot of a, a horror story, you know. Um, but the, uh, this, we can laugh about it in retrospect. We can laugh at, at, at the disciples here. You know, uh, it, it, it seems funny in a way. We can make a joke about it, but it was a serious thing to them. This was a serious thing for these disciples because if you put yourselves in their shoes, now we've got all these people that came out here to see Jesus. We've got all these people that came up to the mountain to see all these miracles and they came to hear Jesus teach and they came to hear his preaching and now we have nothing for them. Now it's, it's dinner time and we don't have anything for them. And panic is what grips these men as, as Jesus says, okay guys, now what are we going to do? What are, how are we going to buy food for these people? Philip's response that we read here is that even if they spent 200 penny worth, that uh, they wouldn't have enough to give everyone a little bit of food. Now, 200 penny worth uh, doesn't sound like much, but it's likely that Philip kind of threw out that number because uh, that's probably about all they had. Doesn't sound like much to us, but it's not a shabby amount of money. Uh, in this day and age, a, uh, it's estimated that uh, 200 pence or 200 penny worth was about uh, equivalent, roughly equivalent to approximately eight months of wage for a working man. It's a good chunk of money. So Philip says, even though we have all this money, even though we have, this is how much we got, but it's not, it's not going to do anything for 5,000 people is what Philip is saying. See, all Philip can see in this situation is that insurmountable problem. The math is simple. In Philip's mind, we have, we have 5,000 people here and we have 200 pence. Yeah, we can go buy 200 penny worth of bread, but what, what is that going to do? What is that going to do? Philip's thinking pretty soon we're going to have a whole lot of unhappy, disappointed, hangry people on our hands. This is going to be an unhappy crowd. In fact, uh, the parallel gospels, the, the parallel uh, accounts of the story that we read in the other gospels make it clear that the disciples, they were ready to send the crowd away. In Matthew chapter 14, uh, you don't have to turn there, but the Bible says this, and when it was evening, this is a parallel account of the same day. When it was evening, his disciples came to him, that is, they came to Jesus saying, this is a desert place and the time is now past. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves victuals. 
You see, from a human standpoint, this was their only option. The disciples said, look, send these people away because we don't have anything for them. From a human standpoint, that we have nothing to offer them. From a, from a, as far as we can see, we can't give these people anything. You better just send them away. Let them fend for themselves. We have nothing for them. We can do nothing. We are powerless from a human standpoint. An insurmountable problem my friends tonight in the same way as we look at the task that is set before us we're here this week to talk about declaring the glory of Christ among the nations did you know that we face an insurmountable problem we face a problem that as we've uh, discussed this week already uh, Sunday morning we talked about the Ivory Coast Sunday night I believe it was uh, discussed Cameroon tonight we heard about the ministry going on there with uh, our brother there in Dominican Republic right and so y- we've seen these these mission fields and can I tell you that from a human standpoint we can do nothing against the wickedness of this world for in our human power the harvest is beyond what we can do it's not possible in our human efforts. This summer, we had the opportunity to travel out west on deputation, and it was really neat. We got to go out to Montana and Idaho and, and uh, see a little bit of that part of the country. And uh, there's one thing from that trip that stands out to me as we were traveling back, uh, headed back east. We traveled across South Dakota. And uh, I'm from the Midwest, uh, but... South Dakota is a little bit further west, and uh, so there was one thing that astounded me as we drove across South Dakota, and we're driving down the interstate, and I looked over, and I noticed that there was a field next to us. It was a field of sunflowers, and uh, I was, that's cool. You know, I didn't know they grew, grow sunflowers in South Dakota, and we kept driving. A, a few minutes later, I looked again, and we're still next to this field of sunflowers. Now, we're driving, you know, 75, 80 miles an hour, the speed limit's like 80 miles an hour, understand that. Um, they, they have high speed limits out there. And uh, so as we're traveling down the, the, the highway, I'm like, we're still next to this massive sunflower field. We drive a few minutes further, and I look over again, and we're still next to the field of sunflowers. It is a massive, and this goes on for miles. We're still next, traveling along beside this field of sunflowers. And it goes on for miles. I have no idea how many thousands and thousands of acres of sunflowers we were looking at. But that pales in comparison when we comprehend how many people Christ was talking about when he said the fields are white already unto harvest. We're talking a, a, a world full of people. I haven't checked the stats recently. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, they used to talk about six billion people. I think it's more like eight now. An incredible task that is set before us, reaching the world with the gospel, declaring his glory among the nations. The field is ripe, but it's massive. As these disciples, uh, they're standing there next to Jesus and you know, things were, were looking pretty bad for them. They had nothing for this crowd. They could do nothing in their human power. The text tells us that Jesus knew better. Verse number six, as we read, it says, he himself knew 
what he would do. Jesus knew that not only would there be an insurmountable problem, he knew that there would be an insufficient solution. Read with me verse number 8, an insufficient solution. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes, but what are they among so many? And Jesus said, Make the men sit down. Get ready to eat, is what Jesus was saying. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. When they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Jesus faced an insurmountable problem with an insufficient solution. Now with that picture of that sunflower field in your mind, uh, if you were to imagine today that I took you out to the edge of that field and, and I, I planted you at, at one end of the field and said, okay, we're going to harvest this field of sunflowers. All right, we're going to pick the sunflowers. And we have a truck here that we're going to load up with these sunflowers. And you can see it, it reaches miles into the distance. But all you have to do is start going down the rows and picking the sunflowers. And when you fill up the truck, we'll empty it and you can keep on going. You would say, that's ridiculous. I am an insufficient solution to this problem. And my friends, that's the case when we look at ourselves in light of the task that God has given us. We look at the world that we live in. And Christ told us, he said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. We are to declare his glory among the nations. And we are an insufficient solution. That's how this boy, little boy's lunch looks in front of 5,000 people. You know, as, as Andrew, the, the disciple here, brings this lunch or this, this boy's meal I keep saying lunch, but I think it was actually in the evening. Uh, as he brings this, I don't know what, what you all call the evening meal around here. We won't get into it. Um, but uh, as he brings his dinner, we'll go with that. Uh, and Andrew brings this meal to Jesus. I don't think, you know, Andrew, it, it doesn't appear from what he says that Andrew's not thinking, I'm going to bring this meal to Jesus and see what Jesus will do. See, Andrew, he doesn't have high expectations, Okay? He's not expecting much from Jesus. In fact, when he brings the meal to Jesus, notice what he says. What are they among so many? It's almost like he's, he's almost embarrassed to mention that we have these five loaves and two fishes. He, he says, what are they going to do? What good is that? Didn't, doesn't appear that he had, had any high expectations for what Christ could do. And after all, why would he? How far is this little bit of bread and fish going to go with 5,000 people? Jesus and his disciples faced an insurmountable problem with an insufficient solution. But I thank God, I thank God that scripture tells us, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. 
The Bible tells us that the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. What a difference. You see, that little meal that that boy had that day, it did not look like much. In fact, it wasn't much. It didn't account for much. It wouldn't feed 5,000 people. But little is much when God is in it. See, the equation here is simple. The math is simple. 5,000 people plus one boy's meal equals disappointment. A whole lot of unhappy people. A whole lot of hungry people. But as Chris told us Sunday morning, when you take any situation, you add Christ into that situation, it changes the equation. That is now a different situation. 5,000 people plus one boy's meal plus the Son of God makes a banquet dinner. Jesus changes things. You see, we use the phrase, little is much when God is in it. We take that as maybe an encouragement to say, you know, my, I have a little bit. I can do a little bit, but it's not really a little bit. It's actually a lot. Well, no, that's, that's not how it works. Your little bit is a little bit. But Christ can take your little bit and he can do great things with it. Let's think about what this boy was willing to do. I think he was willing to sacrifice if I was there that day, it would have taken a lot for me to give up my dinner. And, uh, you know, for me to, to, to uh, give up my meal that I brought. It's, it's my food, right? It, this is the meal that I packed. This is the food that I brought for me to eat. Why would I give it up for this man? I wouldn't, want to, wouldn't have wanted to give up my dinner. But this boy was. Think about this. He was willing to give what he had. He could have easy, easily looked at that crowd and said, well, well, I have this. Yeah, I have one, one lunch. I have one meal. I have one dinner. Why would I give it to 5,000 people? It doesn't even make sense. Why don't I keep it for myself? I fear that that's the attitude we can have as we look at what we have, our lives, and our resources, our possessions, and our money, and we say, well, I it's so little. Why would I give it away to someone else? Why would I give it to Jesus when I need it? This boy was willing to give what he had, and I think he trusted Jesus, even though he didn't know what was going to happen. He was willing to give his, his meal to Jesus, not knowing what was going to happen. Remember that the Bible tells us that Jesus already knew what he was going to do, Jesus already had this in the back of his mind that he knew what was going to happen. And we even, in retrospect, we know the end of the story. We already know what's going to happen. But remember that the crowd there, that they, they didn't know how they were going to get fed. This boy, as he gives his meal to Jesus, he doesn't know that this is going to happen. He doesn't know what Jesus might do with his little meal. But here's the key. He was willing to find out. He was willing to give what he had to Jesus to see what Jesus would do with it. The boy's courage and willingness to sacrifice meant he was willing to give and find out what Christ would do. You see, you don't, need a, you don't really need to have a lot to serve Jesus. You just have to be willing to give what you do have and see what he'll do with it. You might think you don't have much, but ultimately that's not what's important. 
might say, hey, God, God hasn't given me a lot of money or a lot of resources or maybe even I'm, I'm near the end of my life. I don't even have a lot of life left and I'm just one person. What is he going to do with me? But Jesus doesn't look at us and say, you know, how much, can, how much do you offer me? You know, do you offer me enough to make it worth it? That's not what Jesus asked. Jesus simply says, give me what you have and watch what I can do with it. You and I have so little to offer to Christ, but he's able to do so much with us. Jesus faced an insurmountable problem with an insufficient solution. But I want you to see thirdly that there was an incredible result. Notice what happened when everything was said and done. When the crowd is eaten, the disciples went, verse number 13, read with me. It says, don't read out loud, but follow along with me. Therefore, they gathered them together and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten. By the way, I think it's cool that Jesus made leftovers, right? Jesus took one boy's lunch, one, or excuse me, one boy's dinner, for 5,000 people, and they had 12 baskets of leftovers. Wrap your mind around that. Verse number 14 says, Then those men, notice this is the reaction to the miracle. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. When Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone interesting reaction from this crowd this crowd as, as they see what happens the men of that crowd they rise up and they say this has to be the prophet we've been waiting for this has to be our leader this has to be our messiah this is the guy notice they say even it doesn't matter if he wants to be our king we're gonna make him our king you see this the action of this young boy resulted in Christ being revealed to the multitude. Why didn't the crowd that day, why didn't the people lift up this young boy and parade him in the streets on their shoulders? And why didn't they lift him up and exalt him and say, this, guy's, this boy has to be our next king. Why, he, he, he's, he provided food for all of us. They didn't do that that day. Why? Because the boy was not responsible for feeding the crowd. The boy didn't do it. Jesus did it. We must not miss the significance of what took place here. Jesus takes the meal of a young boy who didn't have much, but he gave what he had. He gave what was available to him. He was willing to give it all to Jesus to see what might happen. And Jesus used that one little meal to feed 5,000 people, but he didn't do it to exalt that boy. He didn't do it to lift up that boy so that everyone would praise him and and give him the glory and honor. He did it to show everyone who he was. This is the glorious thing that happens when we give everything that we have, everything that we are, everything that we can be, everything that we can do. We give it all to Christ. He does not lift us up and exalt us and praise us. Rather, we get to be a part of lifting him up. Rather, we get to be a part of 
of declaring his glory among the nations. Rather, we get to be a part of the Christ, the Savior of the world, being lifted up and exalted, and that is far better. The young boy that day did not glorify himself and lift himself up so that men would praise him. He did something far better. He exalted the Savior by giving everything he had and letting Christ use it. And Christ took the little bit that the boy had and he did much with it. Tonight, friends, I believe that Christ already knows what he can do with the little bit that we give him. We don't know. We, we look at our lives and we say, I, I don't really have much. I only have one life. I'm just one person. I'm not an, uh, an eloquent speaker. I'm not a, uh, uh, you know, an, an amazing educated person. Or, or maybe you say, I, I don't have all this money. I don't have all these resources. How is Christ going to use me? Can I tell you that he already knows how he'll use you if you give yourself to him? If you allow him to have control, if you allow him to be in charge, he already knows how he can work, how he can take that little bit, he can do wonderful things with it, and he will be exalted because of it. I shared a little bit of my testimony uh, in our, just briefly in our presentation video yesterday. I said that I was privileged to go up in a Christian home, and I'm very thankful for that. Uh, what I didn't say there is that my parents were actually uh, first-generation Christians, and uh, they were actually saved out of the Amish religion. Now, some of you are probably familiar with the Amish. Uh, you've seen them. I don't know if they, you know, they don't live in cities, so you probably don't have any real close to here. Um, but the Amish, you know, they're famous for wearing the big black hats, having long beards and, and ladies with the bonnets, and they drive horses and buggies down the road. You guys know what I'm talking about? Okay, good. And, uh, you know, they, they're, they live all over the country. That's how my parents grew up. They were born into that. That was their religion. A lot of what, what people don't realize about the Amish is people admire them for their culture and for their, their, uh, their way of life. But what you have to realize is that everything you see is part of a religion. They're wearing the, the, the big hats because their church tells them that that is what you have to do to go to heaven. They, they wear the long beards because those are the church rules. And if you didn't obey the church rules, you would have no hope of being righteous in God's eyes in the framework of their religion but my parents growing up in that they were ingrained with the 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 uh they were told from you know as children growing up they were told uh we are Amish because that's that's what we've always been and it's our only hope for salvation we have to be Amish it's our only hope of being righteous in God's eyes but obeying the church rules it's the only hope to get to heaven but there was a man, when my parents were in their 20s, uh, there was a man who had a, a sort of a, a practice of, he would haul the Amish around, he would give them rides to places. And uh, it's kind of a funny aspect of the, the Amish culture that, uh, you know, I, don't ask me to explain it, but they believed that it would be wrong for them to drive cars. Um, but they, 
they, on a daily basis, pay someone else to drive the car for them and to take them around to different places. And it's just part of, part of their, uh, how they work, I guess. And so they need to go get a ride into town. They'll get a ride with this guy that has a vehicle and they'll pay him to drive them. Or even if they need to go out of town, they'll, they'll uh, pay him to take them out of state, whatever it is. Um, and so this man, he had a, a vehicle where he would drive a number of the Amish folks around and uh, this man evidently was a believer. I never got to meet this man. His name was Carl. And Carl, he would drive, as he was driving these Amish folks around, he began to put in uh, sermon tapes while they were driving. You know, very, very subtle, you know. And uh, as they were driving along, he would play these sermon tapes with, with good biblical preaching for these Amish folks to hear. That wasn't all. He would begin to, to talk with them and he would ask them questions and, and he would question them, them about what they believed and, and why. He began to raise questions in their minds. By all accounts, this man Carl was not a model Christian, but he apparently had a burden for these Amish folks. There were a number of the, the Amish there that he would drive around and uh, over a process of time, probably several years time, he interacted with many of these folks. There ended up being a group of about six Amish families, my parents and, and uh, several others, uh, couples, some couples, some families, about six families that together began to study the Bible more deeply because of the seed that was planted by Carl. They began to gather together. At times, they had to go undercover. They would sneak into a house at undercover of darkness, and they would draw the curtains and, and dim the, the, the lamps, and, and they would study the Bible together. Because if it got out, if the news got out that they were studying the Bible outside of the, the jurisdiction of the church, they could be in big trouble. This went on for some time, and as they got deeper and deeper into God's word, they began to see truth from God's word that didn't match what the church taught. Eventually, uh, it came to a point where they couldn't keep it a secret any longer. Word got out what they were doing, and they were ultimately confronted by the leaders of the church and by, by the Amish church. They, they were confronted, and they were told, either recant or you're out. Either give it up, repent, turn back to the church, or you're going to be excommunicated. By that point, they had seen too much. They had realized, they had read enough of God's word to realize that salvation is in no man's religious rules. It's only by the power of the blood of Christ. It's only by grace through faith. And they were not willing to give that up. My parents and the others in that group of six families ultimately were the church voted to excommunicate them they were shunned they were cut off by their families when they left the Amish uh, when they they moved away it was almost uh, the the families mourned them the, the Amish uh, their Amish families mourned them as if they had died because in their minds to excommunicate them to to boot them out of the Amish church was the same as condemning them to hell. Carl, that man who planted the seed in those Amish, in those Amish folks' hearts and minds, 
never got to see them leave the Amish. He passed away before that happened. He never on this earth got to see the fruit from that little seed that he planted. But today, of those men who stepped out by faith to leave everything that they knew, three of those men became deacons in a Baptist church. One of those men became a pastor and is still a pastor of a Baptist church today. Of the children from those six families, at least four of them became either a pastor or a pastor's wife of a Baptist church. Those children of those six families that left, seven of them either are currently or have been missionaries on a foreign field. Carl, that man who planted a tiny seed, never got to see the fruit and what Christ would do with that seed here on earth. But I look forward to meeting him one day. Christ can take an insufficient solution for an insurmountable problem and he can use it to bring glory to himself. Tonight, reaching the world with the gospel is an insurmountable problem for us. It isn't possible in our power. By all human reasoning, we cannot speak to all the people of the earth. We cannot reach them all. But can I tell you that when Christ said, I will build my church, he already knew what he could do. He already knows the lost souls that he wants to save in Cote d'Ivoire, West Africa. I believe tonight that Christ already knows the churches that he wants to see planted in Cameroon. I believe he already knows and sees the souls that will be saved in Poland, in the Dominican Republic, in Mexico. He already knows what he can do with the little bit that we give him. But Christ does not ask us to overcome the task before us in our human power and strength. I believe all he asks is for us to give the little bit that we have. Give it all. Let him have it all. And see what he can do with it. Because he already knows. Father, we thank you for the tremendous testimony of this young lad. As he was willing to give what he had to you. Lord, please speak to our hearts now during this time, Lord. I pray that every one of us would make the decisions that need to be made in order to give what we have to you. And I thank you most of all, Lord, that you take the little bit that we have to offer. So small, but you can do so much with it. Thank you for it, Lord. And I pray in Christ's name. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, you can visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. 
We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and we want to encourage you to share this message with others. May the truth of God's word be your guide as you strive to follow Christ and make him known to others.